Hello and welcome to Master Your Coaching Biz, a podcast for rising coaches and entrepreneurs who want to design the life of their dreams and make a massive impact on the world while building an inspired, successful, and profitable business. I'm your host, Cheryl Thacker, Master Board Certified Coach, trainer, ICF mentor coach, international speaker, and founder of Successful Coaches Enterprise. I believe that every coach has a unique gift to present to the world, and I'm humbled that I've had the opportunity to work with hundreds of coaches and entrepreneurs on their journey to mastering their business. Join me each week as we explore all things coaching to master your business with tools, techniques, and strategies to create and market your products, get visible, make an impact, and grow your business. Listen in on interviews with leading coaches and entrepreneurs sharing their stories and best tips to teach, inspire, and empower you. Observe coaching sessions, participate in Q&A, and learn how to master your mindset to enhance your coaching skills. Are you ready to build the life and business of your dreams while doing what you love? Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. And today we have Wayne Mullins, who is from Ugly Mug Marketing. And Wayne is a husband, father of four, entrepreneur, and he's the founder of the Ugly Mug Marketing. He's also the creator of Freelance Accelerator and author of Full Circle Marketing. So welcome, Wayne. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Yeah, tell us tell us a little bit more. It sounds like you got a lot going on there. I do have a lot going on. Um, my wife and I, we do have four kids and they range in age from 16 down to nine years old. So three boys and a girl. And as you can imagine, there's just lots of lots of carpooling, lots of moving kids around. Um, yeah. Our company, Ugly Mug, there's 11 of us now full time here. We work with clients scattered uh, across the country mostly. We do have some international clients from time to time as well. You know, most of what we do is around the marketing side of things, whether social media or traditional marketing. Yeah, awesome. So, you know, my audience is coaches and typically they're on the new side or or maybe even out to the three or four year mark. And I actually saw some that were a little bit higher up in the scaling. So I do like to try and give uh, a lot of value to to kind of the range of people that are listening. Tell me, what do you feel like most uh, entrepreneurs, coaches struggle with as it pertains to marketing? Sure. I think um, the number one thing I see so many struggle with is they really don't even understand what marketing is. I see so often that you know, entrepreneurs, they use marketing and advertising interchangeably, like they're the same thing. And in reality, advertising is merely a piece or a component of this bigger thing called marketing. The definition that we love to use, Cheryl, when we think about or talk about marketing is marketing is your ability to attract and to keep a customer or to keep a client. Now, when we say keep, we don't just mean keep from this perspective of, you know, in the coaching world, we don't want to just keep somebody for, you know, years or however that may work out for us. What we want to do is we actually want to keep and convert them into evangelists for us. So every coach out there knows that your typically your best clients come from word of mouth or referrals from other coaching clients that you've got. And yet, as entrepreneurs, as business owners, we rarely think intentionally about how do I actually convert my current clientele into evangelists for myself, for my programs, et cetera? And that's interesting. I, I was talking to um, another coach about that the other day. 
And actually, a lot of my marketing or my posts on IG talk about that word of mouth and getting your clients to be your cheerleaders because they're the best ones for you, (laughs) you know, to tell others how you're doing and and how you help them. Uh, So I love that. So what do you think, you know, after they kind of uh, understand that, (laughs) what's the next step? Like once we know that, okay, it's it's our clients, really current clients that we have to focus in on. What, What is the focus? What do we do there? Sure. I think number one is we have to understand what are their expectations. So anytime we're beginning a new a new relationship, so whether it's for us on the marketing side or it's a coaching relationship, we have to make sure that we clearly understand their expectation. In other words, the client's expectations. And what I believe to be true is often we don't do enough due diligence in those early days and in, in pre-signing. So what happens oftentimes and you know, this is true from my experience is people sometimes come in with these grand expectations, right? When they begin a working relationship. And so sometimes it is actually our job to bring those expectations down a little bit closer to what is realistically possible. Because the only hope we have, Cheryl, of actually creating evangelists for us is to exceed expectations. So when we engage a client, if they have expectations that are just unrealistic or you know too too grandiose, right? And we don't bring those expectations back into alignment with what is actually possible, they are never going to be satisfied with our relationship. And so, number one is getting that crystal clear understanding about what are they expecting? Can I actually deliver on what their expectations are? If not, we need to have a conversation that realigns those so that I can at least meet and hopefully exceed those expectations. So that'd be the very first thing I would work on. Yeah. So managing expectations, I think that's, I would agree. I think that's really important. What do you think is the the reason or the the problem that coaches have as far as, you know, scaling? I know coaches, they come into the business new and after two or three years, they want to scale and it's it, they don't really get to scale. You know, it's, it's a struggle. So what do you think is the, the you know, kind of stops them from being able to do that? I think first it goes back to definitions here. I love um, you know explaining to people what is the difference between growth and scale. And again, there's not like it's not that my answer or my definition is the absolute right one. But until you come to an agreement on what the difference between those two things are, you can never scale because you don't know the difference between growth and scale. So again, what I love to say about the difference is this: if you are growing, the more revenue, the more clients, the more that you grow your coaching business the more demands that are placed on your time. Now, if you're scaling your coaching business, the more clients you take on, the more revenue you produce as a business, the less demands are placed on your time. So I love to think about it in that regard. So as you're scaling, your the demands on your time actually become less and less because you've either got systems and processes or you've got people who you've empowered right, to step up and step in. And the beautiful thing about scaling versus growing is this, that if you are indeed scaling, you will get to spend more and more of your time in your natural gifts and abilities, right? Because you will have delegated, deleted, or removed the other things from your life that aren't in your true gifts and your abilities. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's hard for, you know, for um, an an entrepreneur, a solopreneur to kind of figure that stuff out, right? Like, how do I know if I want to scale or if I just want to grow? Like, how do I know what systems to put into place or, you know, what people to kind of hire or, you know, help me out? So I think that's a, that's valid that, 
we need to know the difference between growth and scaling. And that when we are looking to scaling, we are looking to create, I love systems. So get those systems in place. And um, and then also I'm a great proponent of getting the help that you need. What would you say is the the most, because this is debatable for some people, like what is the first kind of help that really they need to get in order to start to look at scaling? Yeah, I would say um, number one would be the creation of the systems and processes, right? There are things that take place over and over. And I love to think about them in terms of what are recurring tasks and what are one-time tasks. So I love to look for what are the recurring tasks that keep coming up that I don't necessarily love, right? There may be some recurring tasks that I love that are in my strengths and my abilities and, and my gifts that I don't want to give up. But all of the things that are recurring that don't fit that criteria, those are the things that I want to begin looking for people to step in and take over. So I wouldn't necessarily say there's one specific thing because everyone's got different gifts and, and talents, but it could be certain bookkeeping things. It could be follow up with clients. It could be, you know, there's this long list. It could be email management. So once you identify the difference between the recurring and the one-time task, then figure out which ones you want to keep and which ones you want to get rid of. Yeah, that makes sense. You talk about the theory of constraints. Like, why don't you explain that to us? Yeah, absolutely. This is so important um, for me in the early days of my entrepreneurial journey of starting the agency that I have now. So we're now 14 years in business. And you know, started out, it was just me bootstrapping um, and really started out doing kind of marketing, coaching, and consulting. That's how the business started. And in those early years, I was trying to grow the company and, and get it to that next level. What I noticed is I kept adding more and more things to my plate, more and more things that needed to be done, right? I would look around and see what other agencies were doing. And I would say, oh, that's a great idea. Let's let's implement that. Let's begin doing that thing. And so what happens to us, I think so often, is we end up doing a bazillion different things. That's a technical term, bazillion. A bazillion yeah. different things. We do none of them very well. And we keep just stacking more and more on top. And so there's this wonderful book called The Goal. And in that book, the whole book is really about the theory of constraints, which simply says this, that oftentimes it's not about doing more. It's about figuring about what is the one thing that is holding you back? What is the one thing that is in your path that is preventing you from getting to that next level? And it's about removing that obstacle out of your way. And what I would say is this, for, for me personally, it is impossible for me to see the weaknesses that I'm blind to. And I believe that's true for everyone. There's this wonderful, I don't know what it's called, quadrant or window called the Jahari window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With it. Yeah. So it's the things that are unknown to me that are known to other people. And so that is why I believe in the importance of having a coach. So like, in the coaching business, you should have a coach. You should have someone that helps you see the things that you can't see. Same thing's true in, in the business that I'm in, right? I have to have people that help me see things that I cannot see. And often, if we hire the right coach, they will help us remove those constraints. They will help us see the constraints, the things that are actually holding us back and hindering us from the next level. Yeah. And I would say that's probably in every industry, right? I mean, when you're working for somebody else, you have a manager or supervisor that is able to point out those things for you. And we don't have that as entrepreneurs or solopreneurs. And But that's what coaches are for and, and mentors and consultants or whatever. That's what they're there for is to kind of yeah, absolutely show that to us. Yeah. So I love that. 
once we kind of identify that obstacle and then we remove it, that kind of opens up the doors to start being able to really concentrate on building that that dream business, right? And how we want it to, you know, to play out. Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe that, you know, regardless of the level that you are at as a coach, I think two questions should always be on your mind. These two questions, I attempt to make the practice of answering these two questions every single day. Question number one is, what have I done to attract a new customer or client today? What have I done to attract a new customer or client today? So, you know, just for perspective, I have a team. There's 11 of us. We have someone whose job is basically to do sales. I mean, that's not their title, but that's what they do. They do sales. So technically, it's not my job. It's not my responsibility. The company is going to be fine if I don't, quote unquote, go out and try to find a customer today. But customers are the lifeblood of any business. Coaching, marketing, it doesn't matter. They're the lifeblood. So by forcing myself to always be aware of what are the things that I'm actually doing to bring new clients into the business? That's question one. Question two is, what have I personally done today to keep and convert a customer? In other words, to keep that customer as a long-term customer or client and to actually convert them into an evangelist for us and for what we do. So as simple as those two questions are, what they do is they keep you centered holistically own your marketing, not just one lopsided side to it, but it's about maintaining those relationships as well as fostering new ones. Yeah. So when you think about turning them into evangelists, like what is you're giving the value, you want them to be you know blown away by the end, but what, what's the next step after that to kind of get them on board? Yeah. So once we actually have them as a customer and we want to convert them to an evangelist, one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they often say things like, Oh, well, you know, if you have any uh, colleagues or any acquaintances who you know who could benefit from my services, please send them my way. Well, first of all, that's just a terrible sales pitch, right? Like, I mean, it's just like, it's very passive. It's very like, oh, by the way, if you think about me, think about, you know, send somebody my way. What I encourage people to do is instead go to your current clients and look ahead of time, do some research ahead of time, find out who they are connected with, and then ask them for specific connections. So, oh, by the way, I saw you were playing golf with this person, or I saw you were on a trip here and you were you know, a part of this group. Can you introduce me? Would you mind introducing me to person A, person B? Because what happens in those instances, instead of just giving a vague request, we're making a specific request that is then easier for them to do because we're giving them exactly who we want to be introduced to. And the success rate in terms of actually getting referrals by doing that is drastically better than just saying, hey, if you you know know anybody that needs my services, send them my way. Yeah, I agree. I have a, a template that I use uh, in my group program. It's, just, it's specifically you're asking your clients, who are the three people that you know that, that I would love to meet or that would love to meet me? <laughs> just to, um, again, to kind of foster that. But I do like the idea of actually getting saying somebody specific like i know you're connected to this one or i've seen you do that i also think that takes a lot it takes some confidence to be able to do that but i think it's important to do that right because we need advocates we have to be an advocate for our own business and we need advocates in others for our business so yeah absolutely if you're not confident enough in your abilities to ask your current clients that question I would do a step back and say, okay, what is missing from my own ability to deliver so that I can be confident enough to approach my clients and ask them for a very direct connection? And it's incredibly simple to do. 
it involves us though stepping outside of oftentimes kind of these social norms or our comfort zones, right? Because it's it seems very forward. And I'm going to tell you this, not to brag on what we've been able to do, but I'm based in a town of 48,000 people. We're in central Louisiana. The next biggest town is 80 miles away and there's like 120,000 people there. So we're not in this big metropolitan area at all. And from right here, from Alexandria, Louisiana, we've been able to do work directly with New York Times bestselling authors. We've been able to do work with publicly traded companies. We've been able to actually do work with this uh, estate of Michael Jackson. So it's all though from asking our current clients, hey, I see that you're connected to this person. Would you mind doing an introduction? Hey, I see that you're connected to this person. So it's this, you know, it's the degrees of separation that we often talk Mm -hmm. about. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. I'm kind of jumping around here, but I want to go back to scaling because I think this can actually help you scale, right? Getting those introductions. What are the stages of scale that you uh, that you talk about? Yeah. So from my observation, you know, 14 years of working with clients in over 150 different industries, what I would say is this, that there are five stages that all organizations, when they scale, go through. The first one is what I call the me stage. This is where you're learning to trust yourself, right? This is where you're, you're getting your feet under you. This is where you're learning to believe in your abilities to do the thing that you do. So coach people, right? To help them get results, to help them achieve whatever it is that your your clients are after. The next stage is what I call the we stage. And this is where you actually are bringing people onto your team and you're having to learn to trust other people to execute, trust other people to deliver portions of whatever it is that you provide. Um, The next stage is what I call the they stage. And this is all about the systems and processes. You have to begin putting systems and processes in place, right? When you hire your first person or your first two people, just due to proximity, due to relationships, it's easy to manage without systems and processes. I'm not saying it's wise. I'm saying it's easy to do that. When you get to that next stage, it's about learning to trust in systems and processes, right? And then the fourth stage that, that I would see companies go through is what I call the machine. And this is getting the first three things to work together efficiently and effectively. So learning to trust yourself, to trust your team, and to trust the systems and processes so that they all cohesively work together. And then the fifth stage, which is one that you know most organizations never get to, and that's completely okay. It's what I call creative destruction. So you know, at some point, the systems and processes that once served you well can actually become hindrances to your next level of growth. And you have to actually destroy some of the things that served you so well to get you to that level that you're currently at in order to go to that next level above. Yeah, I love that. So I think it's very simple. It makes a whole lot of sense to how it works out like that. And I think trusting ourselves is really the most important part. And it, it does set off that chain to be able to do the other things. If we don't, if we're not confident in ourselves, it's hard to bring on other people. Um, it's hard to describe to them what you do. It's hard for, for you to tell them what you want to happen. Like it, you have to have that confidence in yourself. And in what you do in order to bring on other people and have them confident in what you do. I think it's really important that your team shares your vision. And it's very hard to do that if you don't have confidence in your own vision. A hundred, hundred percent. I would say that, you know, the other element of scale and kind of tying those two things together is that when you scale, you have to learn to balance both alignment and autonomy. So alignment is exactly what you're just talking about. If you don't have a compelling vision of the future, 
If you don't have values that you firmly believe in and that are your guideposts, right? If you aren't crystal clear on the expectations you have, you cannot have alignment or alignment as a team. The other side of that equation is autonomy, right? When we hire the absolute best people, they don't want to be micromanaged. Mm -hmm. They want the autonomy to use their gifts, to use their abilities to execute. The problem is without alignment and just a bunch of autonomous people running around, we have chaos because they're not aligned around the core purposes. Yeah. The flip side of that is if we have tremendous alignment, but no autonomy, we have a bunch of robots who are waiting on us to say, here's the next thing to do. Go do this. Here's the next thing to do. So you don't want either of those extremes. What you want is a good balance of those two things. In other words, you want highly aligned team, but you want also to give them the autonomy to execute based on that alignment. Yeah, excellent. I love it. Wow, I, we are actually coming to the end of our time. That was um, that seemed really quick, but there was a lot of information. And uh, guys, I hope that you are listening. You're taking notes. Um, I think a lot of what we talked about today is pretty practical, but maybe not something that you've heard quite put this way. So I thank you for that, Wayne. What would you say? Uh, kind of a last tip for really looking at the marketing and the advertising difference, like for the coaches, so that they can get a better feel for that. Sure. What I would say, I'm going to slightly divert off the side of that question and, okay. and answer this, that so often I see coaches believing that they're doing social media, but in reality, all they are doing is digital media. You see, the word social media means dialogue. It means interaction. It's a social connection. And all too often, what I see is that coaches, and it's true for every industry, but coaches show up and they throw up. Right. They show up on the page and they spew their message out there. And then they complain that no one's interacting, no one's engaging, no one's, you know, there's no dialogue taking place. Well, the flip side of that question is where are you showing up? How are you showing up? How are you engaging in dialogue with other people? Right. It's the difference between a megaphone, which is the way most people approach social media versus a telephone. So you, when you go to use social media, I would argue that it's far better to post less often, and engage with other people, engage in their content, begin building relationships than it is to post every single day and just show up and throw up. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Thank you for that. And um, guys, if you want to see more of Wayne, you can go to the show notes and get the link to the website and his social media, Ugly Mug Marketing. Uh, on Facebook and then LinkedIn is Fire Yourself and Instagram is Ugly Mug Marketing. So thank you so much, Wayne, for joining us today, guys. I will see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening in today. I'm so glad we got to spend this time together. If you love today's show, please consider leaving me a review on the Apple Podcast app so other coaches can find the podcast. For more information about me, visit SuccessfulCoaches.com. For daily inspiration and affirmations, follow me on Instagram at Coach Cheryl Thacker. Be sure to send me a DM so I can say hello. Until next time, to your success.